you may be dismissed for junior church at this time. While the children make their way back, will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, the book of Hebrews and chapter 6. Our four-week sermon series is called Anchored, as you can see on the slide behind me, and we're doing a study of Hebrews 6 verses 13 through 20, taking our time working through uh, the second half of Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 19 is the key verse. It begins... We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Jesus Christ offers all of his people, by grace through faith in him, an anchor for our souls. And we need that in a world like today. In a minute, I'm going to read our whole passage. And then this morning, we'll focus today on our key verse, verse 19. And uh, why don't you take some time right now and pray and ask God to do for your heart what he has planned to do in your heart this morning. Take some time and then I will pray for our time in the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, take every doubt and push it away. Lord, take every fear and push it away from our hearts. Lord, take our memories of this past week full of distraction and pain and confusion and ups and downs. Help us forget about those for the moment as we hear from you. Push those thoughts away. Lord, you know what Satan is trying to do right now in our hearts. He's got lies. Will you silence the enemy at this time? Lord, remind us and our enemy of the anchor you have given us through Christ. Father, thank you for adopting us into your family by grace through faith in Christ. And now, as we open your word, may we hear from you, our heavenly Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Each week we're going to read the whole passage. And again today... After I'm done reading, we'll focus on just verse 19, the key verse for our anchored sermon series. Hebrews 6, 
starting in verse 13. This is the good and glorious word of our Lord. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So far in our series, we've seen that we're anchored by a promise. That was message one. We're anchored by a promise. God is a promise maker, and God is a promise keeper, and the cross is proof of that. Well, then last week we saw that we're anchored by two unchangeable things. God's purpose doesn't change over the years, and God's promises don't adjust according to the signs of the times. God is still at work in the world and in your life. So today we're going to see our third message is that we are anchored by a hope. Anchored by a hope. And this is in verse 19. Let me read it again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. A hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain. And I want to read verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Hope is a great word, isn't it? Hope can get you through a whole lot in life. Over the years, I've talked to a lot of people who have shown up on our church prayer chain, and I frequently hear this. Pastor Dave if it wasn't for my hope in Jesus Christ, I don't know how I would have made it through this. I have heard people say on the prayer chain or people who've confessed, you know, struggles that they've gone through, Pastor Dave, I just don't know how people do this without Jesus Christ. Hope is a powerful thing. It can get you through a lot in life. And we're introduced to the hope that our anchor is at the end of verse 18. Look at the end of verse 18. We who have fled for refuge, so we're refugees from this sinful world, right? We're fleeing from a chaotic world where we need refuge. Might have strong encouragement. We need encouragement to hold fast. What are we going to hold on to? To the hope, there it is, set before us. 
And in verse 19, we learn of this great hope. Our hope has three parts this morning. First, we have. We have. Second, a steadfast anchor. A steadfast anchor. And third, behind the curtain. Behind the curtain. Those are three points about hope this morning. Our hope is that, number one, we have. Number two, a steadfast anchor. Number three, behind the curtain. Let's examine our hope, the anchor we have, which is hope. Our hope is that, number one, we have this hope. Look at verse 19 again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Why is it so important that we have this anchor already? That when we talk about hope, it's not something in the future. It's not something that we don't have yet. It's something that we have currently. Whoever wrote Hebrews is reminding us that we already have a hope. The anchor is of our soul. Our lives need an anchor. Our world is unstable. There needs to be something to hold on to that isn't going to move this week. We live in unstable times. For instance, in the news, there's still a war in Ukraine. Last week, some churches were vandalized over the issue of abortion in our country. There's a baby formula shortage And this week is the primaries in Pennsylvania. Tuesday, Pennsylvanians will be voting on primary candidates. Uh, I bet there won't be any drama. (laughs) This world is unstable, unpredictable. We live in unstable times, and Jesus offers us an anchor, and it's not wishful thinking, maybe, oh, gee, I hope so. It's an anchor now. Jesus offers an anchor for now. For these issues that we're facing, for this generation, the anchor is for you now. And each of you has an anchor in Jesus Christ that was specifically designed, handcrafted to get you through the thing you're going through right now. Our anchors are fine-tuned, masterfully created by a master craftsman. We have the anchor now. We don't get hope later. We have hope now. My family talks a lot about the Bible because I'm a pastor and we're, we have to. Every once in a while, one of my kids says, but dad, how do we know it's all true? How do we know it's all true? Well, I don't have to say, well, bud, I, I just ho- I hope it is. I don't say, all right, tonight we're all going to cross our fingers and say, gee, I really hope this stuff is true. I don't ever have to say that. You know what I can say? I can say, buddy, because usually it's one of the boys who asks. I say, buddy, there's an empty tomb right now in Jerusalem. And that tomb's forever going to be empty because Jesus is alive now. We have an anchor now. We're not hoping one day it will all be true. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Christian hope is not based on a maybe. And we really need that because this world is full of maybes, isn't it? We live in a world full of maybes. You have hundreds of maybes coming at you this year. Maybe you'll get a promotion. Maybe you'll go to college one day. Maybe you'll beat cancer. Maybe you'll get married. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe your kids will have children and you'll be grandparents one day. Maybe you'll get noticed. Maybe you'll live until you're 100. 
And we live in a world of maybe, and, and we learn as children to put our hopes in things that have no promise. We're a fickle people. We often put our hopes in things, and there's no guarantee. There's no promise. We have been trained to put our hope in small things with no promises. On our dining room table this week was a word search, and the word search was taken from a word search book, and it was just on the table, and one of my kids was trying to find the words. And the topic of the word search was careers. Careers. All right, so artist, author, welder. I had to explain. My, my son Jude was like, what's a welder? And I'm like, okay, well, let's look at that. And he's like, I want to be a welder because there's sparks coming out of the, the video of the welder. That looks awesome. I want to weld. And then one of the words was astronaut. And I thought, that's really getting the hopes up, isn't it? Did you want to be an astronaut growing up? Uh, there's no promise that you'll be able to be an astronaut. I thought it would be cool growing up. I was like, yeah, it'd be cool to be an astronaut. As encouraging as it sounds, one of the biggest lies in this world, and you see it in movies, you see it in TV shows, you see it on social media, it's this. Child, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. Here's the reason. I can't be an astronaut. Okay, let's say I wanted to be an astronaut, and I studied hard, and I got into the right college, and I studied the right degree, and I I got all these promotions, and I made it to the right field, and I was excelling in my field, and then I came to NASA and said, I am ready to be an astronaut. You know what they would have said? You can't be an astronaut. Because to be a NASA astronaut, the maximum height is six foot three. And I'm six four and a half. Can't be an astronaut. I looked online. Do you know how many people are astronauts right now? Do you know how many people are in outer space right now? Uh, don't go there, but there's a website. How many people are in space right now.com? That's actually what it's called. They say there's, don't go right now during the sermon. There's 10 people, I guess, at the International Space Station. Another website says there's 11 people in space right now. I don't know. If it's a clear night tonight and you see a shooting star. But let's say I got my hopes up and I wanted to be an astronaut. I couldn't be it. Let's be honest. Maybe you didn't put your hope in being an astronaut as a kid. I couldn't have been even if I wanted to because I'm too tall. We do this all the time. We put our hopes. Your heart sings. Your heart wakes up. Oh, I hope. Oh, I hope. Oh, I hope. We have put our hopes in so many things that there are no promises for. And that ruins our understanding of true Christian hope based not on a maybe but on an empty tomb. Based not on a maybe, but on a God who makes promises. We have put our hope in things that we shouldn't have. We play hope games in life. Uh, Some people put their hopes in the market or in cryptocurrency. I saw that in the news this week. If you put all your hopes in crypto, over the last month, if I understand correctly, the crypto market has lost over or around $1 trillion in value. Now, it may go up, it may go down, but we put our hopes in things. Some people say, I played the lottery and lost, but hope springs eternal. I'll play tomorrow and then I'll win for sure. And here's what they mean. Some people, some people, they say, and then I'll be happy. See, if I get this, I'll be happy. If I get that relationship, I'll be happy. If I get those grades, I'll be happy. If I get into that college, I'll be happy. I'll be content 
But all those hopes are based on things that are not secured by an empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Some people say, you know, the 76ers had injuries this playoff season. But hope springs eternal. There's always next season. Some people are marching in the streets this weekend, putting all their hopes in human judges in the Supreme Court. But God changes the hearts of kings and judges. So you can trust in him. Can't trust in anyone else. We hope in money, but there's no promise. We hope in government, but there's no promise. We hope in friends. Sometimes they break their promises. Career, education, ourselves, our health. Christian hope is not blind faith. It's proven by the empty tomb of Jesus. So our hope, number one, is that we have an anchor. And it will never change because Jesus lives forever forwards. We have this anchor. No need to put your hopes in something less secure than that. Number one, we have an anchor. Our hope is that we have, number two, a steadfast anchor. Verse 19 again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Uh, The words sure and steadfast, it's not worth nuancing those in Greek. They're both very similar synonyms. But the fact that two words are used, it adds emphasis. It's like saying, hey, this is sure and steadfast. Go ahead. Try to move it. Try to move it. Or you're on a trail. Hey, can you cross that bridge? The trail guide goes ahead and says, look, look, you're not falling. It's safe and secure, sure and steadfast. The author of Hebrews, as we've been studying 13 through, 9, 13 through 20 in chapter 6, is referring back to the promise to Abraham in Genesis 22. The author of Hebrews wants us to remember because God made a promise and he kept it to Abraham. And he made that promise about 2100 B.C. And so for us, God has been keeping this promise. This anchor has not moved for 4,000 years. You can trust it. It's sure. It's steadfast. It doesn't move. Hope and a sure and steadfast anchor means this. When we trust in Christ and his righteousness for our standing before God, it means at no point in our life are we trusting in ourselves. It means we're not trusting in our track record. It means we're not trusting in how well we've behaved lately. It means we're not trusting in somebody else. We're trusting in Christ. Our hope is based not on our performance or our perfection or even our attitude. Our hope isn't based on Abraham or Ruth or David or Mary or Peter or you. And for some people, this is the change Christ makes in your life. When you realize that your hope of salvation is secure in something other than yourself, it gives you so much freedom in life. On occasion, I share this from the pulpit, so maybe you've heard it before. I went off to college. I was raised in a good church. They had the gospel right, but I didn't have it right in my head. And so I went off to college, and I I sinned. I was a sinner. And here was my understanding of life and faith. I would commit certain sins that I was trying to fight against and trying not to commit. And that night I would be absolutely miserable. I failed again. I failed again. I failed again. I'm a failure. I'm dirty. I'm miserable. I'm a failure. And then it would happen again. It would happen again. And then the worst part was I would go three or four days without committing one of those college sins. And I would be like, oh yeah, I did it. I made it. I have gone days without committing an egregious sin against the Lord. I would tell my friends, right? Look at me, three days without egregious, epic fail in sin. It was this guilt, if I sinned, pride, 
If I made it a few days without sinning, seesaw, there's no grace there. There's no freedom there. I was basing my whole understanding of Christianity on my own current behavior, and that is not trusting in a sure and steadfast anchor. That was putting my trust in Dave Matchett, not in Jesus Christ. I was living as, as if my hope was built on nothing less than Dave Matchett and his righteousness. And that slavery, there's no freedom there. That's not hope. Our anchor is secure in something other than ourselves. It's secure in a person, Jesus Christ. Now listen to Jesus Christ. He's never failed. Okay? Satan has tricked billions of people. And Jesus was never once tricked. Sin has caught billions of people in its slavery. And Jesus never sinned. Death has ended billions of lives. And Jesus went into death and he came out on the other side. We put our trust in him, not ourselves. We have a steadfast anchor. It's not moving, friends. And Jesus offers us something so much greater than all these small hopes that we put our hopes in. This line, sure and steadfast, sure and steadfast. It was a, a marine term. Um, mariners would use it, right? Seafarers would use it on boats. And if, if a boat came back from out on the sea, and uh, the people in the first century said, hey, how did you survive that big storm? The answer was, I had an anchor, and the anchor was sure and steadfast. This line, sure and steadfast anchor, comes up a lot in first century literature. What they meant when they said it was, the anchor didn't move. Why did you make it through that storm on that boat? It's because your anchor was sure and steadfast, no matter the storm that you went through. An anchor holds a boat to shore or ground, and as one author said, as I read this week, so the life of the Christian is held secure by Christ. Our hope is that we have a steadfast anchor. But Christ's anchor is not out there somewhere. It's, it's not over there somewhere. It's not hidden in a chest somewhere where you have to find that great treasure. Our hope is, number three, behind the curtain. Right? We have a steadfast anchor, number three, behind the curtain. We're talking about this anchor. Where is the anchor? It's behind the curtain. Look again at our verse. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's where your anchor is. Where's your anchor? Why do you have hope? Why do you have trust? Because my anchor is secure and it's behind the curtain. What is that place? The place behind the curtain is the place of God's power and presence. You have an anchor that is secure in the place behind the curtain. In the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. And in behind, behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies was the place where once a year only the high priest could go to offer a sacrifice for the people on the Day of Atonement. Only one person, only once a year. And you better be careful to be clean as you walk in and come out of that. And the author of Hebrews says that because of what Christ has done, because he is the final high priest, he has gone in with his blood through the curtain and opened that curtain up so that you and I have ultimate access to the powerful presence of our Heavenly Father. 
You don't have to wait once a year. You don't have to email the high priest and say, bring these sins in and confess them before the presence of God. We have been given access behind the curtain. That means into the powerful presence of the creator of the universe. And this access, we have a steadfast anchor behind the curtain. This access behind the curtain changes our life. Here's one of the things it means for us. A little later in Hebrews, in chapter 10, we read this. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, do you lack confidence? You get it because your anchor is behind the curtain. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here is the difference. The game changer for people of faith. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of this anchor behind the curtain, what Jesus has done for us has given us permission today to draw near to our Creator, to draw near to our Heavenly Father, no matter what happened this week, and to find the doors open. And that changes everything. It changes everything. We have access to the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, if you get nothing else from the message this morning, the sermon should at least communicate this to you. You should pray like you mean it. You should pray like you've been invited into the king's throne room. You should pray as if you will be heard and an answer will come, whatever the Lord's will for you is, in accordance with that answer. You should pray as if the door to God's presence has been unlocked. But we doubt. Don't we doubt? Don't we doubt? Is is that worth praying about? Does God care about that? Should I really bring that to God? Yeah, you should. Let's use our imaginations for a minute. Let's say you go on a visit to another country, and they have a king, and you've been invited into the king's throne room. And you walk in, and a guard speaks up and says, Who said you could come near? Well, if that happened, you'd better have an answer. So now let's imagine for a moment we're entering God's throne room and a guard comes along and has some questions for us. We better have an answer. Okay, what are the questions? Well, who invited you in? Jesus Christ, my high priest, has invited me in. Who said you could pray directly to the Father yourself without needing a priest or a high priest or whatever extra sacrifices? My high priest Jesus said I could go right to the Father. In fact, he taught me how to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. Who said you were clean enough from all those sins you've committed? Well, my high priest Jesus said I was clean. Who told you there's no more condemnation for all your sins, sinner? Well, my high priest Jesus, he paid it all. He paid it all. There's no more condemnation for me, not because of me, but because of Jesus. How'd you get in here? Well, I have an anchor in here. What anchor? Where's your anchor? It's not an it, it's a person. Jesus Christ right there in the throne room of God is my anchor. And he said, come on in. So I have access to the Father. I have access to the one who spoke the world into existence. That means this week 
He's going to be for me. He's going to be with me. He is going to guide me. He will be my good shepherd. I will not face anything this week that catches him off guard or by surprise. We have access to our creator, access to our father, access to our designer, our shepherd, our leader, and our king. And that means since our anchor is behind the curtain, that means wherever we go, we have the powerful presence of our heavenly father with us. This week in the doctor's office, you will have the presence of the creator of your body with you. This week at work, you will have the judge of kings and rulers with you at work. This week, when you lie your head down and wrestle with your thoughts, you have a heavenly father who isn't going to bed that night and has a mediator for you in Jesus Christ, praying that God would sustain you throughout the night, no matter where your thoughts go. You will never be alone or forsaken. We have the presence of God with us. That is our hope. Our hope is that we have now a steadfast anchor, third, behind the curtain. So let's end by considering what difference does that make. We've talked about a few of them already. Here's the difference this makes. This hope, our anchor, this hope is the assurance that God is always with us. This hope makes the confusing assignments in life possible. This hope makes the terrible diagnosis bearable. This hope makes the challenging assignments walkable. This hope makes the painful trials endurable. And this hope makes funerals attendable. Hope makes life livable. That is why our hope cannot be in you or me. It must be in something that has never moved and will not be shaken. It is sure and steadfast anchor for our souls that gives us access behind the curtain. It makes life livable. Hope makes life livable. If you need that hope, cry out to Jesus for it. If you're suffering in the category of hopelessness, stay and pray, and we want to love you and point you to the one who will not move, whose blood has covered your sins. He will give you hope. He gives it out abundantly. It doesn't just make life livable, it makes ministry possible. Think about what this hope means for us as a church. A few things. Why do we engage in children's ministry? Why do we teach any children about Jesus Christ? Well, hope is why. Hope is why our children's ministry curriculum puts the kids on the path of discipleship. Instead of waiting until they fully understand everything in the Bible to sing, Jesus loves me. I don't understand everything in the Bible. And I can sing, Jesus loves me. Isn't that great news? Hope does that. Hope tells little kids like the Fox family, we want to tell you about Jesus at a young age. What does hope do? Hope is why we can strive for holiness. If you've been wrestling with a sin, fighting with a sin, praying for victory over a sin, asking God for fruit of the Spirit in your life, in a category where you're just failing, hope is why we don't give up when we've stumbled again and when we've stumbled again. Hope is why we don't give up. What else does hope do? Hope is why we pray. Hope is why we pray. Hope is the reason prayer is worthwhile. Hope is why some of us have been praying someone in our life for years or decades. 
And we don't give up after a week because of hope. Hope is why sometimes we pray for absolute miracles to happen. Because Abraham and Sarah, thinking back to Genesis, Isaac was the hope. He was a miracle. And God is the miracle maker. So we pray for miracles. Why? Because our hope isn't in us. It's in God. What else does hope do? Hope votes. Hope votes. Why do we not give up on a country or a state or a municipality? Why do we as Christians want to be salt and light in our city and our state and in our country? Why would we engage politically and vote and put our hopes in processes like that? Well, hope gives us a reason to vote and not give up praying and engaging civically for the good of our neighbor. This week is the Pennsylvania primaries. Hope means we can vote on Tuesday, even if we've been jaded by the political process. Our hope is not in the votes. Our hope is in King Jesus, who, when we wake up Wednesday, will still be on his throne. What does hope do? Hope is why we don't give up on each other. Look around the room. Hope is why this group of people has not given up on you. And that's really good news. We're praying for you, rooting for you as part of our church family. We're not going to give up on you because of hope. Hope is there to let us know that offenders who've wronged us might repent one day, that God might soften hard hearts, that God might open gospel-blinded eyes today or this week. Hope informs all of what the Christians do. Almost done. What else does hope do? Hope is why we engage in missions. Hope is why we can send a missionary to a place like we've done to Jordan, a country where it's really not okay to go around sharing the gospel. Why would we do that? Hope is why we do that. I'll end in a moment with a missionary story. Our points again, our hope is that we have a steadfast anchor behind the curtain. All right, last point, last thought. Hope is for people who have read the last chapter. I was watching a movie recently with my kids, and Eden, my six-year-old daughter, was snuggling up to me, and she turned her head because one of the characters was in peril. Scenes of peril. Rated G for scenes of peril. She turned, Dad, cover my eyes, she said. I, okay. I said, don't worry, because we've seen the movie already. I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, because I've read the last chapter. We're a people who have hope because we have read the last chapter. Revelation 22, 1 through 4. Why do we not give up hope in this world? Because this is the age to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Remember the presence of God purchased for us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And here's what that world is like. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And all God's people said, Amen. How can we get through this life? Because that eternal life has been purchased for us. Our hope is not in this world. It's in that world. That's where our anchor is. And we have it now sure and steadfast behind the curtain. So I'm going to end with a story, a brief one, 
of a missionary who did what he did because of this Christian hope. And without hope, you would never try anything like this. William Leslie was a Canadian pharmacist, and he converted to Jesus Christ in 1888, so none of you knew him. He feels called by God to go to the Congo in Africa to use his medical skills to heal others. He had many fears, and some of the tribes in the region were cannibals. So he decided, I'm going to go to a region of cannibals because I'm a pharmacist. Why? Because of hope. They set up medical clinics, and they started to teach the children how to read. And then he preached the gospel, and his wife would play hymns for the people to sing. They eventually set up their main camp in Vanga in 1912 along the Quilu River in the jungle. And they spent 17 years there teaching the kids how to read. The pastor would preach and his wife would play some worship songs. And then in 1929, after 17 years of sacrificial service, there was a fight and a rift between William and the leaders of the tribe. And they said, you have to leave and never come back. Never come back. And so within six years, he had died, not knowing if his ministry had any lasting impact. Now, doing that for the Lord is worth it. That glorifies God. But he didn't know when he died in 1935 if his ministry had any lasting impact. The village leaders were, tribal leaders were very mad, and uh, they would have wanted to squash anything that had been planted. So 75 years go by. And in 2010, a missionary organization was in the Congo looking for the Yansi people, and they reached Vanga, that little village. And then they hiked a mile to the Quilu River, crossed it in canoes, and then they hiked another 10 miles into the jungle, and then they found descendants of these Yansi people. Here's the report. When we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had their own gospel choir, and they wrote their own songs and had sing-offs from village to village. They found a church in each of the eight villages they visited, scattered across 34 miles, and they found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral that was built. It became so big that that church had to split up and start a church-planting movement. That's what hope does. They had an anchor, and we have a steadfast anchor behind the curtain. We have Jesus Christ and access to the Father, and that hope can get you through anything this week. Let's pray.